the Bible Study Podcast, episode 510. Today, the Bible Study Podcast begins a study of the kings of Israel and Judah. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I can't say exactly why I decided that this would be the next study that we do, but we're going to talk about a very important time in the Old Testament, the period of the kings. Just to put this in some perspective, if we take Old Testament history and we divide it into four parts, we get roughly four ages. We get the ages of the patriarchs, and I'm including in that the time of the captivity in Egypt. With the get the ages of Moses, Joshua, and the judges, and that's about 500 years also. And then we get about 500 years of the time of the period of the kings. And then we get the rest of the Old Testament. We get the Babylonian captivity and the post-captivity, as well as the reestablishment of Israel. And then the break between the Old and New Testament is another 500 years. So roughly four different 500-year periods. And we're going to be talking about the third one. So roughly 1043 is some of the dates that I've seen to 586 B.C. And this is a period which is a very important period in the Bible because if we take those four different quarters of the Bible and we say Genesis basically is the only book that covers that first 500 years. And then the time of Moses, Joshua, and the Judges is covered in the rest of the books of the Torah. So that would be Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as well as Joshua and Judges. So those six books cover that 500 years. But that third 500-year period, that period of the kings, most of the Old Testament takes place and is written in this time period. The six obvious books would be First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Kings and Chronicles being two parallel accounts of the same time period. And then also, if we think about it, a lot of the Proverbs, a lot of the Psalms are written in this period. Most or all of them are written in this period, and all the major prophets happen in this period. So Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel will all show up in this time period. So most of the Old Testament happens in this third 500-year period, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to study it. It is a discouraging period, at least a lot of it is. There's a lot of things that go wrong. And we're going to start with sort of the three major kings, Saul, David, Solomon. And then we're going to get into a lot of kings that we're going to either skip over or going to do in very little detail. So we're not going to do every verse study because, again, we'd be doing this for quite a long time and it would probably drive me completely batty. But we're going to start in Samuel, and the story of the kings in Samuel starts in Samuel 8, 1 Samuel 8. Just going back a little bit over the part that we're skipping over, we're skipping over six chapters of Samuel, and these are talking about Samuel himself. And Samuel is a prophet, and really he is the last of the judges. If we look at the book of Judges and read the book of Judges, what would happen is there was no fixed ruler over all the tribes of Israel. And the people of Israel would forget about God and something bad would happen like they'd be invaded by the Moabites and God would raise up for himself a judge 
who would bring the people back to God and they would defeat the enemy. And Samuel is that type of leader, one who was raised up by God, raised up during a difficult time period in Israel's history. The very first story here is mother is childless and she prays to God and says, if you give me a son, I will give him and dedicate him to you. And so she becomes pregnant. She brings Samuel to the temple and brings Samuel to Eli, who's the chief priest and says, this was the deal I had with God. And he is raised then in the household of Eli. And she goes on and sings a song and then has many other kids and it, continues to support and have a part in Samuel's life, but he is raised by Eli. And Eli is the high priest, and his sons, in fact, are very corrupt, and they corrupt justice. And so they die. And when we get to Samuel 8, Samuel himself now is old, and he's appointed his sons. And like Eli's sons, they are also not faithful to God. They are not good men. And so we get this in first Samuel 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The names of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what a king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles." When Samuel heard all the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. There are going to be a couple different themes here in this time period of the kings. And this is the first one. The two themes here that I see in this particular chapter. One is the first problem we've got is that righteousness is not necessarily hereditary. We certainly are encouraged to raise our children in the Lord, and we are certainly encouraged to raise our children to know right from wrong and to be just. But Eli wasn't able to do it, and Samuel wasn't able to do it either. 
Now, the problem, if you think about it, though, is the people are saying, our problem is what we've got now isn't working. Give us a king. Which will take that very problem and make it institutionalized because you're going to pass the power from father to son. And yet there is no reason to believe that a good king will have a good son who will also be a good king. And we will see that theme. So the first problem we've got is their whole theory that this will be better doesn't make any sense. If we just set aside the fact that we're looking for a leader, this idea of a hereditary leader, they've already seen two examples where this hasn't worked. More than two, but two just recent examples. The second bigger problem they have is this is not what God wanted when he set up Israel. He wanted two things that are quite different. One is he did not want them to be like everyone else, right? So when they say, give us a king so we can be like everyone else, they're saying, give us a king because we don't want to do things your way. We want to do things everybody else's way. And tell me if that sounds like that's going to be a problem. And spoiler, it is. And remember, if we'd gone back to the previous 500 years, Moses and Joshua in particular, we get the time period where God has finally had it with the people who live in this land. He said their sin has finally gotten to the point where he has decided to get rid of them. And it's because their practices, especially their worship practices, are heinous. And one of the things that they do, and this will come up again and again here in this next 500-year period, is when they worship Baal, for instance, they sacrifice their children. So that is one of the horrific things that they do that God does not like. The people around Israel right now, that's one of the things they're still practicing. So when they say, we want to be like everybody else, again, do you think this is going to be a problem? It is. So we've got a problem that they think that a king is the answer. They're rejecting God as their king. And so they come to Samuel and they say, we don't want your sons. We want somebody else's sons, and we want them going on forever. We want to be like everyone else. And so they will be like everyone else. And that is the sad thing that we will see here over the next 500 years is that constant struggle between God saying, I want you to be different. I want you to be mine. And their constant push and their constant direction of being like everyone else. We're going to talk more details about what that means and how that applies for us later on, but you should know that when we look at this, we're going to be looking for how this applies for us. And the first obvious application is God does not intend us. God does not call us to be just like everyone else. I think of the old Hebrew national commercial, we can put all these things in our hot dogs, but we answer to a higher authority. We answer to a higher authority. Just because everybody's doing it does not mean it's appropriate for us. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening.
In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse, guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.